in the spirit as doors are opening up. We keep telling you about going to the city. Listen to me a minute. We keep talking to you about doors leading into the city. You know, not many people know Phil in church circles, right? They know pastors and they know leaders, uh, certain leaders, but, and it's come on his radar that he's been, been invited to go to different places. And I believe the moment that's part of, that's God. Because when people pursue you to go and speak, not always, but a lot of times it can just be God. And I, I know you can't keep praying God to open doors and then when a door comes, you think, well, it's just, it might not be God. You have to take God serious and test the doors to see if they're right. And uh, we know that with Phil, I believe he serves me well. He serves us really well. There's no one who has, his, who has my heart like he's had it over these years. And, um, and for him to go out there, I'm proud. I'm, I'm, good. I'll, you know, I'm good about it because I want him to, to get some experience. And uh, don't worry, he's not leaving. He's just going out there and tasting, you know, he's crossing over and tasting what it's like on the other side. And uh, he's going to sit with some strange-looking faces. The church he's gone to is not exactly a, the, the strongest of church. It's a, it's a tough nut that he's gone to crack. So he deserves that. He deserves the, the tough nut. And uh, no, it's good. It's good for him to, to go in and, and see the water level and see if he can raise it. Raise the water level. Because if, every, if everybody was like you, church would be great. But you, there's once upon a time when you sat there like that. Well, where he's gone this morning, they sit there like that. But it's important that he texts. He becomes the well. He becomes the well in the dry, barren place. So it's good. And this is what's going to happen with many of you. I spoke with the leaders about this only a couple of weeks ago. This is what's going to happen. You're going to have to take your well into dry places. Amen. And uh, God's given us and going to give us certain bases around the city to help us get our feet in there. We'll get closer and closer to the city. And God's going to, help, uh, going to use this church to go and rescue other churches. I'm telling you now, he's going to use us to go and rescue other churches. Because for, for too long we've sat here. It's the time to rise and go to the other side. And for you, something that's going to freak some of you out, but good. That's good. Because in this, in this house, there's more preachers than preach. There are more preachers in this house than preach at this current time. Many of you have got word inside you. It might take three of you to do what I do. It might take four of you to do what I do, but you can do it together. We can do it. We can do it. This is what this, all this training, this building and this atmosphere is all about. So we can take it beyond the door. It's in there. It might take four of you to do one man's job, but four of you can do it. It might take six. It doesn't matter how many it takes. We can do it. Amen. So get ready. Get ready. So during our time. Okay, gentlemen, ready. Are we already on? Okay. During our time of looking at a battle to live and die for. I've become very passionate about this. And I want you to become passionate about it also. I want you to become passionate about it. Think in terms of battle, God's battle. The right field, the right time, in the right battle. You know, we're taking our challenge. I really believe that God spoke to me from Genesis 14 and 8 to, I'm not going to recap on the story. Abraham realized that there was something in his life that was worth fighting for. He realized that flesh and blood is worth fighting for. His son had been taken captive and his, and, and his son's wives and possessions. So he could, have been, he could have so easily said, well, it's his own fault. He shouldn't have been there. He could have, said, he could have made many excuses. Well, I'm not using or risking what I've got to go and rescue him. Because he rescued a lot a few times. And here he is again, going fighting for something that's closer, that's close to him. And that's, you know, his nephew. So he goes to fight and he realized that this is a battle worth fighting for. Now, many of us, God needs to bring us to the point where there's something inside us that tells us this is worth fighting for. These people are worth fighting for. Not fighting against, fighting for. There has to be something in our hearts that causes us to stand against all kinds of stuff in life because it's worth fighting for. There, there is a relationship that is worth dying for and worth living for. 
There are relations. Some of us, you know, I said to you earlier on, we, are, we have relations, but we don't relate with. Everyone has relations that they don't relate with. But you know, in the body of Christ, we're called to love. So we need relationships and we need to learn to relate because it's a command, love one another. You can't say I'm part of a church and not love one another because it's a command and it's the royal command. You know, it's not, it's a doozy one. It's not just a small one. Oh, if you like him, love him. No, no, no. He didn't say if you like him. He said, love him. Like is, like is a benefit. Love is the command. So, you know, but these in themselves, listen to what I'm saying here. Fighting for relationships, fighting for relations, fighting for something that you love is only the fight. It's not necessarily the battle. You must remember this. Abraham had a bigger, he had bigger fish to fry. He had a bigger issue. He was going to be the father of all these nations. True? Jesus had many fights. Fights with the Sanhedrin, fights with the Pharisees, fights with the Sadducees. But his battle was the one of his father. There was a bigger picture, but we can, we can see Jesus having many fights along the way. But the battle was his overall objective. Well, you and I must remember that there's many fights you will have. But that doesn't make it the battle. In World War II, how many fights were there? So many fights. We, we, we fought them on the beaches here. We fought them over there. We fought them in the fields over here. But there was one objective. It was the war. To push Germany back. That was the battle. But there was many fights. We fought in Belgium. We fought in, fought in um, Britain. We fought in all the foreign fields. Each one had their own fight. But there was one supreme battle. All those forces were focused on one battle. Amen? So right now, you've got your fight going on inside you. You may have a private, individual, personal fight. You're fighting with something. You might be fighting over something. You might be fighting for someone. But that is not the battle. Why? Because most fights always incur emotions. And an emotion, as we, as we know, an emotion, there's nothing worse than an emotion to get you in the wrong fight. True? How many times did you get a fight for your brother or your sister? I was always pulling our kid out. I wish. The thing is, if you just fight over family all the time, or fight for family, whoever's picking on your family, you'll fight for. But that might not necessarily be the right thing to do. Abraham did it because he saw the bigger picture. So he used his own resources to go and rescue his nephew. Now, there's a bigger fight out there. There's a big battle. But the fight right now is to get you guys trained to go out there and fight. So we have a fight on on here. Fight with your mind. Fight with your heart. Fight with your discipline or your indiscipline, whatever it is. What's going on in all of us. We fight right now to get us onto the battlefield. True? God said this morning, lift your head. Well, if, there's, if he's been telling us to keep lifting our head, that means he's been a, there's been a fight between you and him. You've not been lifting your head, and he's saying, lift your head. You can't go to war with your head down. How many times have your mother said, pick your feet up when you walk, or keep your head lifted up, look where you're going. True? You can't go anywhere with God if your head's down. If you've got low self-esteem, you'll never go anywhere. That's why God says, lift your head up. See where I am. Follow me. Follow me. Because where I'm going is where you're going. But very, but very often we want God to follow us. But God says, no, no, no. I'm the leader. You're the follower. You're my disciples. I'm not your disciple. You're my disciple. And by you, they'll know the fruit. And the fruit should point back to God. So you and I can choose the wrong fight very easily. But the, ba the battle, the Bible says, is the Lord's. He didn't say the fight is. He said the battle is the Lord's. Many fights you choose. Some fights choose you. But the battle is the Lord's. So we see here straight away in 1 Samuel chapter 7, we see a fight, but we see the right battle. See, the reason why the fight in the battle, a fight on its own is a fight. 
But a fight attached to a battle is because it has a bigger context. You see the bigger context. Remember that. A fight on its own is just a fight. But a fight in the Lord's battle has a wider context. You're fighting for something now. You're not just fighting. If I'm fighting Jill because she doesn't look at me the way I like, like her to look at me, I'm fighting over something fleshly. True? But if I saw Jill struggling and I fought for her in the spirit, I'm fighting for her in the spirit because there's a bigger context. Does that make sense? So we can all fall out with one another. Man, I can fall out with myself. So easy to fall out with yourself, isn't it? And here we see in 1 Samuel, we see Jesse, the son of Jesse. David is the son of Jesse. And, Je- and, and David has three sons. And what does he say? He said, in verse 13, Jesse's three eldest sons had followed Saul to the war. There was a war. There was a battle. But in the battle, there was going to be a fight. So the war is the context. The battle is specific. She said that the fight is specific. The battle is the context. And he has three sons, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shammah. Now, every day, these boys were stood there watching Saul, uh, sorry, watching Goliath taunt them, the armies of Israel. And they were taunting. What I could never get my head around is all those armies up there, and one man's dictating what's going on. One man's dictating to them all, Goliath. And so much so, it was putting fear into the hearts of Israel. So you can believe that their heads was low. They wasn't lifted high. They wasn't looking to God. They'd gone to war. Saul's the leader. David's just but a young boy. But David understands the difference between just a fight and a fight in a battle. See, David's fought lions. He's fought bears. He's fought a lot of things. But David always had a higher purpose. There was always a reason for his fighting. He wasn't a man that just picked a fight because he was a warmonger. He wasn't. He always fought for the right things. His history proves that. So in 1 Samuel 17, verse picking up at 32, verse 32, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of the Philistines. Your servant will go and fight him. So straight away we see he's a servant. I'll go and fight him. Saul, Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. Wow. And he has been fighting men, man from his youth. So he's kind of really building the profile up of Goliath. Yeah? Saul could have been his good promoter. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it, I beat the seven sorts out of it, and by its head I struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Because he has defiled the armies of the Lord. Now David's got the big picture now. I'm going to fight this guy because he's defiled the armies of the Lord. There's his context for fighting. It's not that I don't like him. It's not that it's just he looks big and I want, I want a trophy. He says, no, no, no. He's defiled the name and the army of the Lord. So now he's going to have to take the consequences because this boy's coming down. Or I should say, this guy's coming down. The boy's going to set the giant down. Can you imagine a young man thinking like this? Can you imagine that? Now, I don't know what your giant is in life. I don't know what your giant is. But guess what? It takes a certain kind of attitude to take a giant down. It takes a certain kind of attitude. I believe for David, it was all about his focus was right. It's because he stood on God's side that God enabled him to take the giant down. It wasn't any other reason. I don't think it was God just trying to show a young boy can do it. I just think David stood for the right thing. He took the right battle. He didn't have to fight Goliath. He could have let any of those other guys do it. Because the Bible says he was only a but a boy. He didn't have to do it. But there are some fights when you say it's not about size. It's about the, it's, it's about the size of the fight in the dog. 
Am I, have you seen these little dogs? They yap and yap and yap. Don't they? And they think they can take the world on. When, when they stood behind a fence and they yap and yap and yap, it's almost like, come and have a go if you think you're hard enough. And, you, and all of a sudden you open the gate and the dog thinks, oh, and it starts running. But you know, some dogs can intimidate big dogs. Yeah? And this little dog intimidated a big dog. Why? Because it was the frequency in the back. It was what David was standing for. Because what David stood for determined who would stand with David. What you stand for will determine whether God stands by you in the battle. Because let's face it, it's not just a fight now. We're not just picked a fight. This is a certain kind of fight. You know, when I get, if I fight against David, the Bible says, love him. Forgive him. Does it not? But when we're fighting over doctrine or destiny or purpose, there needs to be something worth standing for. True? And only time will be the spokesman. But there are some things you have to fight for in life that is God's. Now, I know God's big enough, but he uses you and me to fight his battles. Amen? So, David, if you're going to have a fight in the battle, you must have a cause. A righteous cause. So, in 1 Samuel 17, verse 36... Here we see his cause is clearly outlined. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Because he has defiled the armies of the living God. And what David's saying is, I know who we are. I know who we belong to. I know who is over our nation. And I stand for him today. But this uncircumcised Philistine, he has no understanding he thinks he can shoot his mouth off and there'll be no consequences. How many of us have done that? And God sat there, silent, and says, oh, I wish I wouldn't, I wouldn't have heard him say that. Because David, God has put the fight inside this boy. God has. And in the battle that you're fighting, please remember, if it's about your personal wants and needs, you're in trouble. Because we already have the Bible that tells us, do not worry about what to wear, what to eat, what to drink. See the birds, does not your father look after the birds? See the lilies of the field, does, does your father not clothe them? How much more are you than them? So we know, seek ye first the kingdom of God and, all, and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So we know there's lots of scriptures that tell us not to worry about what to eat, what to wear. But how much of our worry is caused around those things? And he tells us not to. So we must be very, very careful that the battle that we are fighting is not centered and focused around our personal needs and wants. We pray about those things, but we don't fight about them. Amen? We must be, we must be fighting on a God-given cause. In other words, is Jesus the center of your fight or is your flesh? Is Jesus the center of your fight right now or is your flesh? And your internal struggles. Because there is a key as to whose battle you're fighting. Again, in 1 Samuel 17, let's go to verse 45. He says, David said to the Philistine, You come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. So he's stating, this is what makes you guilty. Let heaven and earth hear today, I have just recited your crimes. You have blasphemed against the armies of the living God. And heaven and earth has recorded today that you, Philistine, are coming down. A young boy saying this. And all the men, the fighting men, the trained soldiers, you can't use them because they're all frightened. And a young shepherd boy who's been trained by God himself He's the man. When it comes to the heat of the battle, we send the boy out. Can you imagine if we're fighting, trying to break through, and all of us are scared, and we go and get some of the kids out of the children's church? And they come out, 
And they're the ones who say, you know, pastor, sit down. We can see you're frightened. We've got this battle taken care of. We've been trained well. We'll sort it out from here. So I say, here, put my shirt on, put my cloak on, take my sword, take my shield. And little Daniel or Jake says, you know what, pastor, thank you, but it's too big for me. It's cumbersome. You couldn't fight in it, so why do you think I can? So he takes it on. He'll say, I'll tell you now, father. I'll tell you now, pastor, this is the transferred legacy. The next generation is going to do it. A young boy takes the fight because those boys didn't have the transferred legacy, but David did. This is a young boy. But you come against me in the name of the Lord, of God Almighty of armies of Israel, whom you have defiled this day. What a, what a prophetic statement. This day, the Lord will hand you over to me. <laughs> You'd say, you little cocky, arrogant, I'll get you. But he knows he's fighting the right battle. You can be cocky. You can be confident when you know it's God's with you. Amen. And I'll strike you down and I'll cut off your head. Oh, Holy Ghost. <laughs> today, again, he keeps saying today, you've, only got, you've not even got 24 hours left. Today, I will, give you the, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. You see, he's got the battle right. He's picking his fight in the battle because he knows once he's established this, the war can be fought. This is a key to fighting the war. And this is why you've got to be able to stand in your battle. Fight your fight because it's a key to the rest of your war. Amen. All those gathered here will know that this is not by sword or spear that the Lord says, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. You cocky little da-da-da. But he stands up there and he's like, you know, and you can feel the, the boldness of God upon him to speak to this giant like this. Oh, my friends, you've got to speak to your enemy like this in the spirit. You've got to know your God. Know that the battle you're fighting is God's battle. Know that the fight you're in right now is God's. If you win the fight right, it's the key to the rest of the war. It's the key to the rest of the war. But if you're taking out in this fight, it can take you years. You may never recover to fight the war. Because we're fighting the war. The war, the battle is the Lord's. Not the fight you can choose. Get yourself in a lot of trouble. Choose the right fight. For the right war. Amen? You fight. Let me say this to you. Your fight cannot be with yourself and your emotions. Why? Because they're unhealthy. They're uncertain. Your fight cannot be with your thinking. And so often we fight with people and wrestle with people because of their incorrect thinking. Amen? When you do that, this is what happens. When you fight with yourself, fight with your emotions, fight with your thinking, it makes you unstable every time. You are the loser every time. And you, though you don't think you're lost, the very fact that you, that you carry on walking in the direction you're going in is proof and evidence enough that you've lost. They're unhealthy. In fact, James says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. How many ways? All. Your battle cannot be with the wrong people. Because you'll never have peace or rest in your territory. Your battle cannot be with people. Now, if someone picks a fight with you, and your, your neighbor starts coming against you over something silly, you still have a responsibility of how you are going to respond. The Bible says our warfare is not against flesh or blood. That means you can't punch your neighbor. Right? You can't burn his crops. You can't burn his house. You can't do touch him. You have to fight in the spirit. But how many of you know the battle's going on in the flesh as well? Love one another as I have loved you. But Lord, I don't like him. Like's not part of love. Like is not a fruit of the spirit. Fair is not a fruit of the spirit. Nice is not a fruit of the spirit. But love is. But Lord, let me go and listen first. That's my prayer. 
Lord, let me just have one smack. No. Oh, you're tight. <laughs> you're dead tight, Lord. Because <laughs> as tight, you'll feel the back of my hand in a minute, son. Your battle cannot be one of fear. Because fear can often be imaginable and, un- and undefinable. Yes? Fear can be a terrible thing. Have you noticed when you've got fear, you imagine all kinds of things? You ever remember, I remember as a kid in the house, we had a small house at that time and we had to share the bedroom, me and our Shirley, and she, she was a lot older than me, you can tell, a lot older than me. And she would go out on a, on a Saturday night, she could be in, you know, dad would let her come in about six o'clock in the morning and <laughs> Andy was wild in those days, but I had to be in bed for like 10 o'clock and it was, I did, did I not? After, hey, match a day, David, I missed match a day many times. And I was in bed and it was pitch black and my mum used to have this, you know, this dressmaker's dummy in the room and it, it used to scare the life out of me. And you know, when your mind, you're thinking it's going to get me. Then I went through all the movies, you know, Chainsaw Massacre. That, it hadn't been made then, but they, these were the kind of images in my mind. And I'm, and I'm, you know, and I used to hide under the covers thinking the covers is going to save me. But, you know, darkness and fear is no good. It's not good at all. And I had this tremendous fear as a young kid about the dark. Even now when I'm upstairs in those offices on my own, and you're this building, this building makes some right noises. And occasionally I've been praying in here, and we get, we don't know what it is what's up in the loft there. But I don't know if it's a pigeon or a raccoon, whatever it is. But all of a sudden, sometimes you're praying, all of a sudden you hear this thing galloping. And you're praying, you're thinking, oh my God, 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 what's that? What's that? And I tell you, I'll be honest with you, many a times I've stopped praying and shut that door and gone back upstairs. <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm on my own in this place. I'll take demon down, but birds and I got this feeling someone's going to come through the ceiling and get me. And then you have to tell yourself, man of faith, stand strong. <laughs> so I pray behind the chairs. <laughs> this building makes some noises. I'm telling you, it does. And uh, you have to fight your own demons, don't you? And uh, when, you're, when you're in a building on your own, it's amazing. So your battle cannot be one of fear. Because fear can often be Im- imaginable and un- undefinable. Always remember, you can never build in a time of war. You only build in a time of peace. So if you're at war with your friends, you're at war with your relationships, you'll never build anything in a time of war. You, you can only build love, acceptance, intimacy when there's peace. Amen? Jerusalem could not be built in a time of war. But Nehemiah went and built. And so did Ezra. And so did others throughout the uh, history of the Bible. They built in a time of war. I said they built in a time of peace. That's when you can advance the most in a time of peace. So you have to do everything you possibly can to bring peace into your territory. David had peace. In the midst of his fight, he had peace. He had assurance, he had certainty that 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 Philistine, there was only going to be one victor and it was going to be him. There was only going to be one victim and it was going to be Goliath. Amen? So every, here's another one, every fight or battle will require you to hold your ground, to hold your position. Every fight in the battle will cause you to hold your ground. You must have some place where you say back foot on, I'm going on the offensive. Amen? I will not be moved back anymore. I'm, stand, I'm working from this place. Yeah? In 1 Samuel 17, verse 32, David said this to Saul. Imagine, this is a young boy saying it to the king. Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Let no one in this room lose heart because of what you're going through. Amen? Your servant will go and fight for him. Wow. It's a young boy saying to the king, King, don't, don't fret, don't panic. Your, your kingdom's not under threat. Why? Because I'm going to go down here and I'm going to beat the stuffing out of him for you. And over again, his brothers have already turned around and said, his brothers don't even want him on the battlefield. They think he's glory seeking. He said, I'm not coming to glory seek. I've come to take over, boys. Because I've seen you three boys. I've not got a fight in you. Shotgun. So he says to him, I'll sort it out for you. King, don't lose heart because of this guy down here. You lot, watch. 
So he takes the battle and he stares that sucker right in the eye. And he uses the word because he's got all heaven on him. All heaven is on him. So hold your ground in the right battle. What battle? The battle of the Lord's. Don't hold your ground in your fight because your fight might not be the right fight. Make sure your fight is connected to the battle of the Lord. If you hold your ground in the right fight, God will hold you in your ground. That's a good, that. I'd write that down. God will hold you. I, you know what, church? I'm telling you, God has done it for me. And I'm sure he's done it for you. You have the right fight. God will hold it. And you hold your ground. God will hold you in your ground. Amen? A wrong heart. A wrong heart will want to seek vengeance. You see, in many fights we get hurt, don't we? We get wounded. What do wounds cause? Bitterness and anger and frustration. And when you've, got, when you've been wounded, you see Christians, wounded people hurt wounded people. Yeah? And what happens is, is when you've got wounds and you say to someone, take the battle on, guess what they're going to do? A wounded man will not fight the same as a man with peace. A wounded man will want revenge. A wounded man will want justice. That's why you can't take everybody to the front lines of the battlefield because they want different things. Your heart must be set right in the battle. You must, be clear. You must not be offended. Hello? You cannot be offended. You cannot be against your brothers and sisters because you'll turn and hurt them. You don't put a gun in someone's hand who doesn't know how to use one or a sword or whatever. And this is the thing, this is why so many Christians get taken out because they try to go to the front lines of the battlefield. They've got sin in their life. They've got uh, bitterness. They've got wounds. And what do they do? They just hit one another. The enemy knows you're an easy target. A wrong heart will always take you beyond your boundary lines. Yeah? Of what is and what isn't acceptable. A wrong heart will always take you beyond your boundary lines. When you fight on the battlefield, you stay within your borders. Stay, learn to find out where your territory is. There's some things I don't have grace for. And there's some things I do. But the charismatics think everything, everything can be achieved on the anointing. Rubbish. What about character? What about grace? And that's why you get so many people doing all kinds of things. Oh, it's just the anointing, the anointing. It's not the anointing. And we're not diminishing the anointing. What we're saying, we're not singling it out. Grace. Paul says, this grace I received. Didn't say this anointing. This grace I received, I received for you. Why? So that you can hold your ground. Grace is a very powerful thing. Again, we have two types of grace. We have saving grace. You didn't do anything to deserve. And then we have sustaining grace. That's based in relationship. Amen? So, if you hold your ground, you're going to need the following strategy. Are you ready? Are you ready for this? First of all, you must let your spirit arise. You must let your spirit arise. Now, we've just put a new design together. We'll put it on the uh, projector for us next, next week. And, it's a and I'm going to highlight these five words. These are your five words you take into your battle with you. Amen? Phil's done a great picture of the Spartans when he's on it. Brilliant. You must let your spirit arise. Judges 5.11. The voice of the singers at the watering place. Ooh. Judges 5.11, the voice of the singers at the watering place. They recite the righteous acts of the Lord, the righteous acts of his warriors in Israel. Then the people of the Lord went down to the city gates and they said, wake up, wake up, Deborah, wake up, wake up. Break out in song. Arise, O Barak. Take captives, your captives, O son of Abinom. Then the men who left came down to the nobles. The people of the Lord came to me with the mighty. Some came from Ephraim, whose roots were in Amalek, Benjamin, 
was with the people who followed you. From Machir, captains came down. From Zebulun, those who bear the commander's staff. The prince of Issachar were with Deborah. Yes, Issachar were with Barak, rushing after him into the valley. In the districts of Reuben, there, were much searching of, there was much searching of heart. They're getting ready for the battle. But yet this searching of heart. You must have God search your heart for the battle. Amen? I forgot what I'm up to now. In the dishes of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan, why did he linger by the ships? Asia remained on the coast and stayed in the coast. The people of Zebulun risked their very lives. So did Naphtali on the heights of the field. Kings came, they fought. The kings of Canaan fought. Tanach king by the waters of Megiddo. But they carried off no silver, no plunder. From the heavens, the stars fought from their courses. They fought against his area. The river Kishon swept them away. The age-old river, the river Kishon. March on, my soul, be strong. Then thundered the horse's hoofs, galloping, galloping on his mighty steed. Curse, Meros, said the angel of the Lord. Curse his people bitterly, because they did not come to help the Lord. To help the Lord against the mighty. This battle was being assembled. This battle, I should say, was picture the scene here. All these men, all these tribes are coming in. And God's trying to get them ready for the battle. But what's the first thing he said? Announce it in song. Announce it in song. Sing it. Speak it out. Let, you, let the spirit of a soldier arise. Most soldiers want to sing when they go to war. Don't they? Singing does something to the spirits of men. And as you begin to sing and your spirit gets stirred, the waters begin to get clean. And there's much searching of heart in the valley. And God begins to cleanse us. So when we get on the battlefield, we're exactly, we are in position and we are God's strategic warriors. Amen? So if God says, I want to use you over there, send some guys into Swinton, some guys into Salford, we can just go. Why? Because we're strategic. Some of them didn't go. In their searching of hearts, the heat of the battle came too much for them. So we must arise. Wake up, wake up. I like what he says. Let me just go back to that a minute. The voice of the singers at the watering places. The singers were, the singers were where the wells. Where the wells, the wells were refreshing the singers. What's been open for us? The wells. What, what is this house? A worshipping house. But the next transition, you've got, to, you've got to become fighters. So many churches want to worship, but they're not fighters. They want to stay indoors and sing about everything, sing about the battle. All of the other history recorders, but they're not history makers. The next thing you need to do is let your heart and mind advance. Let your heart and mind advance. In other words, if you let your mind stay at the same level it's always stayed at, you'll always be at the same place. But if you let your heart and mind begin to advance, God can take you to a new place. Amen? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26. 1 Corinthians 9, 26. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others i myself will not be disqualified for the prize so what does he do he disciplines himself i don't run aimlessly i'm not fighting anywhere i'm not found fighting anyone i'm not fine fighting everyone you know some people are fighting everyone aren't they i'm not doing that he says why because i don't fight like a man beat in the air why because i'm being led by the holy ghost have you noticed how many times that Jesus slipped away? Reading the scriptures, how many times did he say, and they were just about to get hold of Jesus, and supernaturally, just, and Jesus slipped away from them. I'm thinking, what did he do? Did he, get, did he have that kind of technology there on Star Trek, when he just says, beat me out, God? How do you get away from the crowd like that? Want to beam up, Lord? No, I don't think he had that kind of technology. But guess what? He knew what fight was God's and what fight was men. True? He knew. Even when the Roman soldiers were, were beating him, he still never lifted his hand to defend himself. He knew 
in the garden of Gethsemane, those soldiers would come and get him. But did he defend himself? No, because the strategy of God upon him was to let them take him. Because he had, this, is, this was the cross he had to go on. And even Peter drew his sword and chopped the ear of the high priest. Peter was in the wrong battle, thinking he was doing Jesus a favor. You can imagine Jesus saying, is that your ear on the floor? Yeah, fellow. Yeah, there you go. Sure, you might need that. All of a sudden, his ear's back on. Jesus said to Peter, Peter, put your sword away. This is not the way we're going to do it. This is not the strategy. Why? Because this ain't the battle. This is not your fight, Peter. This is my fight. And the battle. Because, Peter, I did tell you, I did tell you that until you see the Son of Man ascend and the angels. Remember, Peter, I told you all about this stuff. Right. So, you know, there's a fight, there's a fight beyond me and you right now, isn't there? Yes. But Peter says, I just want to kill him. He says, no, 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 Peter, this is not the way. There's a strategy. There's a strategy. If you can win every battle in your own strength, I suggest you're in the wrong battle. You're in the wrong battle. Now, the human thing is to want to, to be in control. I want to defend myself. I have the right to defend myself. Not in Christianity, you don't. That's an American constitution. We have the right to bear arms. Well, the Christian constitution is you have the right to lay down your life. That's your first right. You don't have the right to bear arms in the spirit. God says, I've given you different software. Different software, different strategies. He's like, God, why do you make it so hard? He said, because it's my way or the highway. So let your heart and mind advance. Next one. Let your spirit begin to accelerate. So we've gone from, just go back. We've gone to arise. We've gone to advance. Now we're into accelerate. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 18. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you. So that by following them, you might fight the good fight of faith. Holding on to faith and a good conscience, some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. To accelerate, you've got to hold on to some things. It's by holding on to God, holding on to his word, holding on. As that mind begins to enlarge, you accelerate in what's been enlarged. But you've got to hold on to it. Timothy? These things that's been said. Now, what he's saying is this. How many of you can remember what was said last week? So I don't worry about that. They're coming for me. How many of you can... Listen, here's the challenge. How many of you can remember what you, what, what you were taught last week? Hmm. I'll take your silence. It's been pretty grim. How many of you wrote notes down? Right. So those who wrote notes down... Though you can't remember, because it's a lot to remember, you took notes down, did you not? So you took notes down based on what your heart captured and what your mind captured, okay? If you don't write down, you'll never remember anything. You'll have no, it's like coming to my table with no knife and fork and expecting your food to get into your stomach. You need tools to help you eat the food, okay? Those who take, took the notes, how many of you read them this week? few of you, maybe. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, we've gone from a whole congregation to now a small amount of people. Come on, listen to yourselves here. How are you supposed to hold on to what's been said and fight the good fight of faith if you can't hold on to some things you've been taught? So by that very little illustration I've just used, I think two or three of you can at least go to the battle. Come on, be honest with yourself. If you don't write things down and you don't read them, when I go to Malaysia, how much information do we get? Tons of the stuff. Now, I've got to work out, God, what's priority in all this that I'm learning. So I've got to write down. So I type like Billio. I type like Billio. Because I've got this, I've got this thought. I spent two weeks there. I ain't spending another two weeks listening to the CDs when I get home. So I take as much notes as I possibly can. Things that catch me, spirit. 
things that sometimes you need to be taught, so I'll write them down. I come home, and that becomes my reference then to work through in my private times with God. But if I don't capture something, all I've had is two weeks away. What right do I have to expect God to work for me? If I can't even use his own word. Come on. And you pick a Bible up, and this is what happens is you get so sentimental, and forgive me for saying this, you open your Bible, you read a little verse, oh, me and Jesus had a wonderful time today. Oh, he spoke to me so beautifully out of his word today. Listen, if you need that kind of word every day, Lord bless you. But I'm sorry, I need to get off egg and chips. I need to go into something deeper. I need to learn, and I need to him to speak to me as well. I don't just want to be blessed. I want to be taken deeper. I can't get taken deeper with just, oh, and Jesus spoke to me just from that little word today. I read 10 verses. Come on, church. We're going to the front lines of the battlefield. I've got to take more word. I've got to take more of Christ in me. I'm not going to go deeper on surface. Oh, there's a, there's a mighty hush across this place right now, isn't there? You can't. This is why we make every available, or should we make all our resources available to you, whether it's books, I write books, we can put the resources in. We've got the uh, CDs, we've got the internet. Or you, you can get access to this message. But you know what we can't do? We can't do it for you. Where do you think I got it from this morning? You think I searched the internet for this? There's no one saying what I'm saying. And if there is, how do I find them? Don't bring you second-hand. This is not Meals and Wheels. This is not Meals and Wheels. This is not Meals for the Elderly. This is, this is not a Kentucky Fried Gospel. This is a table that gives you food. But if you can't eat the food and take it to the next level, you'll never be able to look at your giant and say, you're coming down, you uncircumcised Philistine. How did he know he was uncircumcised? How did he know he was coming down? Because of his relationship with God. In the heat of the battle, all you've got is to stand on this word. Seriously. You must let your spirit begin to accelerate. He said David ran to the front lines of the battlefield. He didn't just, there was a time for talking, came to the end. And a time for action. Amen? He knew it. And he said, Timothy, my son, I give you these instructions in keeping with the prophecies once made about you. So he's saying, Timothy, they're your prophecies. God spoke them to you, but you better keep hold of them. Because on the battlefield, it's very easy to think, God, where was that prophetic word when you said you saw me in a beautiful valley and everything was beautiful? But right now I smell stench. God says, keep hold of the word, son. Because we're going to transition from the stench to the beautiful smell. But you've got, to, you've got to know the God who gave the prophecy. You can't just hold on to the prophecy. It's not magic. We might as well go to a clairvoyant if you want that kind of response. We need to know the God who gave the word. The God. Have faith in the God who gave the word. Not just the word. Seriously. Seriously. You can't give prophecies to anybody. You know why? Because some people don't even know the God they're connected to. Now, if the word helps them to connect, that's different. But very often, we give prophecies out. That's why I don't just prophesy over anybody these days. Seriously. I've been challenged to prophesy over the strategic people. And who are strategic? The ones that God says prophesy over. So we need to accelerate. The next one. So that was advanced, sorry. That was sorry, it was accelerate, sorry. The next one. You must let your heart and mind execute God's word. Execute. Execute means to do a piece of work, to perform a duty, to put a plan into action, to skillfully and successfully perform an action. That's what execute means. It doesn't mean kill them. That's what most people execute. Why would execute? It means to do a piece of work, to perform a duty, to put a plan into action, to skillfully and successfully perform an action. Joshua 22.1, Then Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You have done all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded. 
And you have obeyed me in everything I commanded for a long time now to this very day. You have not deserted your brothers, but you have carried out the mission the Lord your God gave to you. There was a group of people here that transitioned from Moses. And he said, you have, you've done everything that Moses gave you. You completely executed everything that Moses told you to do. And he gave them an inheritance because, of the, because they did it. Hello? The Bible says there's an inheritance kept in heaven waiting for you. But who is you? The sons and daughters. Only those who do the will of the Father are the true sons and daughters, the Bible says. So, we must execute the plan. We must execute God's plan skillfully. We must execute God's plan by doing it meticulously. Amen? 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8 says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for its appearing. And then he says in Acts 20, verse 24, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. This was his battle. This was Paul's battle. This was to him worth living for and worth dying for. He considered his life worth nothing, that he may finish the race. That was Paul's Operand, uh, operation, man, what do they call it? M.O. <laughs> Can't even say it then. M.O. Last scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with our weapons of, are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of dis disobedience once your obedience is complete. To arise means you need to be awakened, reawakened and brought to a new state. To advance means you're going somewhere and you're going in a particular direction towards something. To accelerate means you have momentum and you're focused. You're fixed, you're determined with pace and urgency. And to execute means to finalize, to wrap up and complete. Now, listen, when you die, you're not complete. Well, you're complete in Christ, but did you ever run your race? Come on. Did you ever find where the battle was. Did you ever run your race? If you're going to get your crown, did you actually do something on the earth? Or do you just want to die and go to heaven and sit in the sweet by and by and wait until all the medal ceremony is given out? And then all of a sudden you're sat there and it says, and you're waiting now you're down to two of you left. And he gets the gold, the silver and the bronze. But you just get to stay in. Now you're safe, yes. Are you going to stay in heaven? Yes. But what about your reward? Can't hear you. What about your reward? The Bible says on the earth is where we earn our rewards. And he gives them when we get in heaven. Now, what's the rewards for? For obedience. Obedience to what? To what he told us. What did he tell us? Well, that's what you're supposed to write down. That's what you're supposed to listen to. What he told us. So then you can obey it and live it. So he's going to come back to you. He's going to say, what did you do with my son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I took him. Okay. What did you do with the word that was given to you? <laughs> I was busy that day. He said, well, how can I give rewards? How can you finish your race strong? How can you be determined? How can you, you didn't beat your body. You didn't discipline yourself. You didn't take a note. You didn't take a pen. You sat there with your fingers up your nose most of the time. That is not the heart of a soldier. He says, get in, you scuffer. Now, we're all in heaven. Don't get me wrong. We're all in heaven. If we even endures to the end, we'll be saved. So you're in. But the point is, my friend, when you cross to the other side, he said there's rewards, there's crowns. I don't want us to fight for nothing on this earth. 
God doesn't want us to fight for nothing. He expects us to stand for something. Stand for someone. Christ and his king, his kingdom. That's what we stand for. So this morning, if you stand to your feet, you need to seriously, seriously think about, am I in the right fight? Has my fight, or is my fight attached to a bigger context? Or am I just fighting myself right now? You know, I have a fight like you do with me, myself, and I. I have a fight when I get up in the morning. Do I do what I should do or do I do what I want to do? I have a fight with my finance. I have a fight with my heart. I have a fight with my flesh. And I know I'm not the only one. But that's not our fight, is it? That's real. I fight with that, but I'm meant to overcome those areas. But that's not my fight. That's not the battle. That's just a fight. Amen? You can't keep fighting yourself. Bring an end to that. Get peace in your territory. You've got no peace. You've got no chance of advancing. No chance of accelerating. No chance of executing. No chance of arising. Peace is everything. Just raise your hands if you will. I'll pray for you. Father, we ask you this morning, Lord, to search us in the valley. Search our hearts. And Lord, in the valley, show us what we're struggling with. I know my struggles, Lord. You've made them known to me many, many times. And I struggle in those areas, Lord. And I ask you, O oh God, to help me bring my flesh to the end. I ask you, O oh God, to give strength to the weak, to the feeble, to the fearful. Strength to the brokenhearted. Strength to the weary, to the damaged. Strength to those who feel marginalized, undermined. Oh God, we want to arise. We want to advance. We want to accelerate so we can bring an execution skillfully. Oh God, help us to find the battle of the Lord. Help us to find the right fight in the right field. Serving the right God. Lord, help us to get ourselves out the way. Search us in the valley, O oh God. Search us, Lord. We Help us, O oh God, as we sing near the wells. Let those wells cleanse us. Let them uh, clearly, clearly begin to bring everything that's wrong to the surface so we can repent and get it out the way. Oh, Father, let us go. Let us drink from this well. Let us, let us sing the songs of Zion at the well. Let us bring the Father, the presence of the Holy Ghost, Christ, the manifested Christ, into our arena. For this battle we fight, oh God, is going to be the battle of the Lord's. Father, if we have become the uncircumcised Philistine, then circumcise us. Bring us down so that you may rise. If we're, if we're the people that's defiling you and defiling your plans and purpose for our own lives, then Lord, tenderly, mercifully, bring us down in the valley. Show us, oh God, where we're going wrong. Because Lord, we want to, like David, we want to say, let no one lose heart on account of this battle today. For the Lord will give us victory. Oh God, help us to hold our ground. Come on, church, let's just pray that over your own life. Search me in the valley, O oh God. Search me in the valley. Let these waters purify my heart, cleanse me, so I'm not found like the uncircumcised Philistine. I don't want to be shooting my mouth off, saying the wrong things, thinking I'm in faith when I'm not. I'm in denial and doubt. Oh God, cleanse me. This week, oh God, speak to me. Let me get these scriptures and Begin to go through them in my own time and use these, oh God. Speak to me this week. Cleanse me, oh God. Remind me where I am in the battle. Remind me where I am. Remind me where I should be. Put me in the right place so I can hold my ground. Oh, Father, show me by the Spirit of God. Take me out. Take me out. Lead me out into the middle of the field, oh God. Speak to me one-to-one, -one, divinely, purposefully, strategically. Put my life at the center of your will, oh God. I don't want to be found in the wrong field. Oh God, be merciful to my life. Cleanse me. 
Let my mind be open so my heart can accelerate. Oh God, bring to me, oh God, your presence this week. Bring to me your presence. Be merciful. Oh, mighty God. Mighty God. You know, I see, I see a, um, a gold paper. Gold paper and a gold pen. And I see that as, as you are beginning to pray this week, I sense that God is saying, I'm, I'm sifting the genuine and the sincere. So, and the sincere. I'm looking for the genuine and sincere this week. And as your heart begins to search me this week, what you talk to me about and what I talk to you about will be recorded. And it's going to be in gold. And you'll be able to read it and it'll be kept. And God will speak to you from that reference point. From that, that will be your reference point. So what you speak to God about this week will become your reference point. Church here, please. This will become your reference point. From this place, never mind where you've been, it's from this reference point that God will now speak. So from this place, you will arise. From this place, you will lift your head. From this place, you will begin to advance. From this place, you'll begin to accelerate. From this place, you begin to execute the plan skillfully. But you need, it's all dependent on the, gen, uh, the, the sincerity and the genuineness of your heart this week. So don't forget, God is listening. And if there's no interaction this week, then guess what you get? Nothing. That's your reference point. But if you dialogue with God and interact with him this week, you'll find your God merciful. God is ready to record what you're about to speak to him. So be very careful this week as you pray. Don't go praying about your own things. This is the point you should be praying from. Your prayer should not be about anti, anti this or Johnny that or work. This is the point God wants you to pray about. Because this is priority in God's agenda. He's trying to take us out to a specific place, a specific time. And God wants you to, he wants to sift the army. He wants to know those who are his. So church, I feel, I feel this very clear. This week's not going to be an ordinary week. Not for talking with God, it isn't. You can go about your business the same. You can have your quiet time the way you normally do. And that's, that might be good, but that's not what God wants us to do this week. He wants us to speak from what you've been hearing today. Dialogue with him at that place. There is a certain place in God, a meeting place of God, where God's ready to have the right kind of conversation. If you're in the wrong place, you'll get a different response. This is the meeting place of God this week. Let him sift you. Let him sift your heart in the valley. Get the scriptures so you can track what God's saying and dialogue with him there. I tell you, next week, your hearts will be not be the same. God's going to record certain things. So I encourage you, even if you don't read your Bible, start. Don't be, don't be casual with it. Be serious. It's not a book. It's more than a book. If you want a book to read, find. Go, you can find any book, but you want, to need, you want to know the God who wrote it. Amen? Oh, Father. Just wait a minute. Just wait a minute. Oh, God. Open our hearts, oh God. Open our hearts. Just speak with him. We don't want to do church the way we normally do church. We want, we want to be serious with our God. Oh God. Build us, oh God, from the bottom up. Restructure us. Develop us. Transform our lives. We want the power of his resurrection in our life. The fellowship of the Holy Ghost. And if suffering has to come, then Lord, it has to come. Only that the glory of God may be revealed in us. And on us and through us. Equip us for this fight. Equip us. Oh God.
Amen. Amen. Seriously, think about this week. Seriously. Don't let it go by. We need to uh, put the chairs out. Away, I should say.